and gentlemen, welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for health and athletics. Two Australian trail championships, a 24-hour track race, six-foot track marathon, and has represented Australia three times at the long-distance mountain running world championships. I mean, I guess you could say ain't no valley high or mountain low that she can't run, right? I mean, it's the other way around. Anyways, let's just say she knows a thing or two about running. Did I mention that Isabel has raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons? So, yeah, she knows her stuff. You'll be sure to get all your questions answered and maybe even a runner's high just by listening to the advice and good vibes of the Peak Endurance Podcast. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation. You can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run, or you can find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more. Wild Earth Australia is the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at great prices. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code Peak Endurance, that's Peak Endurance, all one word with caps, to get 10% off at checkout. Now, who doesn't like saving money? Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Episode 125 is an interview with Peter Defty. Peter is one of the pioneers in fat-adapted performance. This work, first on himself beginning in 2001 and subsequently with athletes he coached, eventually led to some stunning athletic performances all based upon optimising fat metabolism. Peter is the general manager of Vespa, is a nutrition expert and an ultra-athlete who has developed a safe, healthy approach to fat adaption for endurance athletes called Optimised Fat Metabolism, or OFM for short. Peter got into running going from carb burner with poor results to a fat burner with success in racing. He competed in the Western States 100 among many other events and also coaches ultra-athletes on using fat as fuel. I hope you enjoy this chat and if you do enjoy it, would you be able to do me a favour and subscribe and write a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on? It truly doesn't take too much time, but it means so much to me. Not only does doing this help to boost the ratings of the show, which is appreciated, but it also increases its audience reach, meaning more athletes like yourself get to listen. And truly, it really does make my day reading the reviews, makes all the hard work worth it. Now, on another note, I have only limited coaching places left. If you are planning a race in 2022, now is the time to get started on your training, believe it or not. So to secure one of the last few spots on Team Peak Endurance, email me, Isabel, 
which is I-S-O-B-E-L, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to get the ball rolling. Enjoy this episode. extended lockdown to no real surprise here in Victoria and with that it sucks and we're all going to be hating it and it's really easy to get into the why me attitude and that victim mentality that only really brings to a bad path make you feel sorry for yourself you start pitying yourself and that only leads it down a, a spiral that's just not helpful so I want everyone to try and flip the script and try and think other than yourself and trying to see how everyone else is around you and focus on others other than yourself and being the victim and try and make the situation a better one yourself again going back into things that I've mentioned before about what you can control and perspective and being grateful and really trying to get out and making sure you don't fall in that uh, mentality of being the victim which is something that's just not useful to be stuck in but so easy to get into uh, as I personally end up there quite often Um, so that's just something I think we should really focus on especially with this lockdown extension and this looks like an inevitable lockdown Peter, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hey, Isabel. Um, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problems. Now, can you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and, and you know, if you have some athletic background, maybe a little bit about that as well? Okay. Um, all right. For those of you who don't know who I am, which is probably the majority of you, I'm Peter Depty, and I'm, I'm sort of the unknown pioneer of, of fat-adapted performance. Um, I started doing this personally in 2000 after running my first marathon and doing the whole carb loading thing and, and find, and it didn't work for me. I just, it just clearly my first attempt at, at using carbs didn't work. And that's what set me on my journey. And I just thought, Oh, this doesn't work. And, um, kind of thought about it from an evolutionary context, because I, I have a biology degree from UC Davis here in California and, um, started, eating a lot more protein and fat with some carbs and ran three marathons right after that. And it's like, I had no trouble. It was just like easy peasy. So what was the issues that you had when you, after you'd carbo loaded? What, why did you say? Well, I only did the carbo loading once and it was just the mile 18, the something I kind of noticed something was going on. Then dashboard lights were starting to blink. And by mile 23, it was like tunnel vision. And I was kind of like shuffling around. I knew that I stopped, I'd be in trouble. And I just, I, I was actually on on um, on pace for a um, a sub three hour marathon about mile sixteen seventeen and then you know about eighteen all of a sudden I my pace started slowing down and, and all my training had indicated I was capable of a sub three hour marathon yeah. and um, it just you know I finished the marathon got a three fourteen was able to get a Boston qualifier but it's just like that first time using carbs in the traditional conventional way just 
really made an impression on me and it got me thinking. And I just thought like, from an evolutionary standpoint, this just doesn't make sense. And so, like I said, I, I started adding a lot more protein, animal protein and, and um, fat and um, some carbs, but not, not carb loading per se. I guess it's plenty of carbs, but it, and, and that's what started me on my personal journey. And then I started uh, running trails and ultras and started coaching some of my friends who were having struggling with the same sorts of things in the early 2000s. And then in 2006, I was getting ready for Western States, the Western States 100. Um, I'd done several ultras between 2000, you know, like I said, in 2001, 2002, I started getting into the ultra trail ultra scene and um, was doing this sort of fueling uh, then and then um, got into Western States after pacing and coaching several people to successful Western States finishes. And then um, a friend of mine handed me a couple of pouches, uh, Kiwi Paul, um, Paul Charters from Australia, the guy, the guy who started the Tarawera. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Paul Charters. Yep. Anyway, he tossed me a couple of pouches of Vespa and said, Hey, try these. My friend Mojo swears by them. And since I'd already been doing it, when, the, when I read the pouch on the back, it's, it was all about burning fat, which in 2006, that's the time that carbs were king, right? Yeah. And so, but I was open to that idea because it was talking about fat metabolism. Since I was already open to the, the um, concept, I, I used it and, and, this was a month out from Western States. So I used it for Western States and I didn't use nearly as much as I thought I, as I should have in hindsight, but I had a good run because that was a year it got super hot and only half the field finished and it was carnage. And it was my first hundred and I, I had no trouble finishing under 24 hours in a year where only half the field finished and only a few people, less than 50 people made it under the 24 hour um, uh, standard for the silver buckle. And, you know, I didn't know really what I was doing. Um, so anyway, I got even more serious into that and started talking to the company and became a distributor, became the distributor and point man for Vespa and uh, started marketing this. And, and you know, it, I didn't know better because the fat thing was working for me. And then when I started the, is my day job, that's when I found out I didn't know anything because people would talk, you know, it's like when you looked at my first blog interview with Scott Dunlap, the comments, they just ripped us to shreds because you know, we were, I was talking about this whole idea of burning more fat and, and using less carbs. And, and it, so that was where I got my, my rude awakening, but I, I knew it worked for me. And I had some early adopters, people who were having serious GI issues. Uh, a guy named John Olson, another guy named Jenny Capel. These were high level ultra runners, but they were plagued by stomach issues. And John's mm -hmm. John went on to win the 24 hour, the IAU 24 hour world championship in 2014. And a number of, he was the first American to run under 12 hours um, and, you know, really successful. And then Zach, Zach Bitter, who was working with me at the time went on to break the, the hundred mile record. But um, it was, you know, I started working with people and, and so got these early adopters who were having serious GI issues on board because they'd run out of options trying to do it the conventional way. And, you know, I was developing the market for Vespa and this whole idea of fat adaptation. And then in 2010, um, a friend of mine put me in touch with Steve Finney and we had lunch and that was the, that started something because Steve had always had this, you know, um, he was focused right, at, you know, for, on diabetes and low carb 
diet, but he always had this passion for athletic performance based on fat burning. Yeah. And so we started talking and I told him about all his athletes. So he, I, I became a reviewer and editor for his books, the low carb, the art and science of low carbohydrate living and, and performance. And he profiled me and, and some of my athletes in the performance book. And then in 2012, they did a study on some of my athletes at Western at the 2012 Western States. And one of the guys I was working with actually won it that year and set a course record that year. It's been broken since, but um, they never published that data, but that data so compelled them that they did the faster study using athletes of mine um, in 2013 and 14, and it published in 2015. And that that's, uh, you're, you're familiar with the faster study and we can provide yes, link. Yes, I've, I've actually got that book. Um, so, yes, I, yeah. I so, know. Yeah. So the, for the audience in the context, all these low carb diet cohort in the faster study, I, I had personally coached and, and helped get themselves adapted. People like Zach Bitter, Ben Greenfield, John Rutherford, who was one of my early, early adopters, who was the, the highest recorded, I think he burned 1.78 grams per minute. Wow. Um, and since then, Jeff Browning's been recorded at 2.22 grams a minute peak fat oxidation. But and that's using Vespa in the faster study, they weren't using Vespa. But for the audience to know for context, prior to the faster study, um, the science suggested that humans could only burn up up to one gram a minute of fat and most of the most athletes burn between half a gram and three quarters of a gram and then we have the crossover the famous cross george books crossover where a well conditioned athlete would cross over from burning fat to carbohydrates at 65 percent of their vo2 max well faster smashed all that because the mean for the low carb diet cohort was 1.54 grams a minute so half a gram at a minute above the the what was thought to be the absolute ceiling the science said and then the the crossover shifted to 75 to 80 percent of vo2 max so some you know for endurance um that's those are both big game changers yeah yeah um so just for some people who haven't heard of this but you want to just explain what that is which the bat the the crossover no well you were talking about they were using vespa Oh, Vespa. Okay, so Vespa is um, a naturally occurring product made of honey, propolis, royal jelly, and wasp extracts. They're all natural products, and they're they're actually um, they're actually class. The, the product is actually classified by the FDA as a food food product. It's not a supplement. Anyway, um, it's actually a, a, an accidentally an accidental discovery of nature, and, and back in the eighties some Japanese entomologists were studying the, the giant hornet, which is known as the murder hornet, uh, the giant agent hornet. And they were tracking it and they saw that this, this hornet could fly 60, 70, 100 kilometers a day. And it would, it's, a, it's the apex predator of the insect world. So it would kill prey, ma masticate it into a food ball. And then it would carry one third of its weight back to the colony to feed to the larva. In exchange for the food, the larva fed it this peptide, this wasp extract peptide that allowed it to access all the fatty acid that's stored in its thorax. So okay. bees, ants, wasps, and termites all have that, that big, large part of their body in the back is their thorax. And it's basically a big sack of fatty acid. 
And they use this symbiotic relationship between the larva and the adult where the, the adult feeds it food and the larva feeds it this peptide so that they can actually access that, that fat. And so these entomologists hypothesize that because animal cells on the cellular level, um, animal cells are remarkably similar across species. So they hypothesize that this, this cocktail of functional amino acids in a, in a peptide molecular structure would exert the same sort of uh, increase in fatty acid oxidation in mice and humans and other animals. So they tested that first on mice and on humans. And sure enough, they, they saw this increase in, they saw increases in fat oxidation. They saw more stable glucose levels. So the glucose didn't go up and down and the, then your lactate level went down. So you didn't have as much lactate load. So a lot of people call it lactic acid, but the, the, mm. the proper term is lactate. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's how the Vespa was discovered. And, and, and then uh, Mr. Kawahara developed the process for extracting that peptide and then uh, mixing it in with the honey and the propolis and the royal jelly. And, and that's sort of like the honey is sort of a little bit of a, a starter, a glucose starter, so that it can get things going in the cells and really exert its um, force. And, and actually, there's some unpublished data that I didn't do. This was done by somebody else independently and it's private data, but she tested a number of athletes of different diets, everything. And, and she saw anywhere from a half a gram increase in fat oxidation to a full gram a minute oxidation using Vespa. Oh, okay. So she would test them fasted, peak fat oxidation. Next day, it would come in fasted using Vespa. And anywhere, didn't matter what diet or anything, anywhere from, it ranged between a half a gram a minute to all the way up to one full gram. Like Jeff Browning, one of the top ultra runners here in the United States at the age of 49, he was able to increase his fatty acid, ox fat oxidation 0.9 grams. So almost a gram a minute. And that's from using Vespa? Just, just adding the Vespa. So he was, he's, he's recorded, this is unpublished, of course, but he's recorded 2.22 grams a minute, which is, if, if you're, you know, if your peak fat oxidation is well over two grams a minute, that's that's a pretty significant game changer in terms of energy uh, partitioning, and that's that's the whole thing with the whole program that I developed around Vespa, which is called optimizing fat metabolism. Mm. Because, you know, uh, I as a biologist, I thought of this from an evolutionary standpoint, and that, you know, the reason we store a lot of fat is because that's what we're meant to burn aerobically, and and we humans with our modern ingenuity have gotten it backwards. You know, and, and that's not to say carbs don't have a place, but what we've done is overuse the carbs and, and that overuse has caused a lot of the problems we're seeing today long term. And so I'm not against carbs. Um, I'm not a keto person like hardcore keto all the time. There's plate, there's times and places where a more ketogenic type of macro makes sense, like in a recovery phase. But, you know, if you're well adapted we see that the carbs are play a very important performance role, but it's on top of that fat burning base. So I've spoken with, um, you know, a number of dietitians who recommend runners eat a high carbohydrate diet, obviously not as high as, as it used to be, you know, promoted, but, and, and like you said, you believe in optimizing fat metabolism. Can you explain the different um, viewpoints, like where, why you believe um, uh, using high carbs is not necessarily better for, for um, performance? Well, 
is because there's there's a trade-off for using carbs. I mean, carbs provide a lot of energy, but when you optimize your fat metabolism, you ap- actually can actually improve your carbohydrate utilization. Um, one of the, the, the basic scientific facts that we see from faster study is that increase in crossover. Yeah. Okay. By moving from 65% to 80% of your VO2 max, you know, in that that you're in that sweet spot, you know, when you're, you're at 75%, 75 to 80% of your VO2 max, you're in that sweet spot of competitive endurance racing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then you're, you're sparing your glycogen Mm. and your glucose, plus your internal intake is less. You don't need to be trying to slam down 600 calories on the bike, you know, or 300 calories on the run. You, you can get by just fine on, you know, a lot less. So there's, there's, there's big trade-offs when you use a lot of carbohydrates, uh, especially constantly what they're, you know, they can show that there's a performance in a study, but then they're not looking at the downstream effects of oxidative stress, inflammation, lactate load, lactate clearing. The fact that when you burn more glucose, you're, you're not burning as much fat. And, and that this includes cholesterols, which cholesterols not only contain a lot of energy, but they contain all those important building blocks for mitochondria, cytoplasm, cell walls, cell wall fatty acids. You're impairing the optimal thing of that. And then the inflammation thing is the biggest thing I see um, because what I'm seeing is, is like, uh, vascular distensibility, your arteries, veins, capillaries, if, if they're inflamed, you can't move the blood mm. and thus you can't move the oxygen in and the CO2 out. So not o- whether it's, whether you're burning fat or you're burning carbohydrates, you're impairing being able to really fuel that engine because there's a lot of inflammation. And when you look at the long-term studies, especially when you go from athletic studies to diabetes studies, heart disease studies, one of the hallmarks of this is, is this what they call arterial distensibility and the art the heart, arteries of the heart get very stiff and hard and this is where the whole um, what i call the myth of salt you know how they say you're supposed to watch your salt intake because of your blood pressure yep. it has nothing to do with the salt it has to do with the fact that if your blood vessels are stiff you add salt if you add salt you get thirsty you add fluid but if those pipes can't stretch and grow to accommodate that the pressure goes through the roof and, and what we see is exactly the opposite. When people get fat adapted and they get rid of that inflammation, they got to bring in a lot of salt to maintain plasma volume because, mm-hmm. because sodium is what controls plasma volume, extracellular fluid, and potassium is the main driver of uh, intracellular fluid levels. And so, um, you know, because if you don't, you, you end up with, the, you know, one of the signs is what they call that keto flu, flu you know, the wooziness, Etc. The sluggishness, um, etc. And that's that's purely. It's not a function of the salt so much as the the health of the the cardiovasculature. And so, the point I'm trying to make is like when you optimize your fat metabolism, you can actually do more on the on the carbohydrate end because if you want to really push the high level, you're going to be able to push more oxygen in, CO2 out. You're going to be be able to use less of your anaerobic spectrum so you're not burning out um, and then the long term and then you got the long term hormonal effects you know the more carbs you do the more insulin you're going to secrete and then over time that's going to create insulin sensitivity issues or insulin resistance 
Um, and the more you do that, the less you burn fat, um, the more inflammation you have, um, the more, the less cholesterol metabolism you have. So the cholesterol starts to back up in your arteries or in your cardiovascular instead of being metabolized the way it should. Um, it's sort of a downward cascade. And, and, and so these are the, the backside issues that I've been looking at with cardio, cardio with, with the carbohydrate thing that nobody's looking at. And it's like, I, what I've seen is, you know, you save it for a hard training session or a race, you're not going to hurt yourself. And it, that actual pushing that the carbohydrates allow you to do actually signals to your body, um, the adaptive stress you need to get stronger, to burn more fat, to better utilize the carbohydrates, because, you know, one of the, on the flip side, when you go into deep keto, you lose your ability to metabolize glucose because you mm -hmm. downregulate your your PDH pathway, which is, which is that's one of the really signature things of a lot of Louise Burke's um, work is how you know deep keto downregulates PDH, which you know there's a lot of merit to that, and that's one of the problems with deep keto is you can't you just you know you can go all day, but you're just sort of stuck in second third gear. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so you, you have to maintain that balance. You can maintain the PDH, but but you can still improve your fat metabolism at the same time. Yeah, because I was going to say that when you need to push for that little bit extra, that's when you're using carbs. So um, you're not saying not use any carbs in, in a race. No, I, I actually have to push people to use carbs. Yeah. Because what we've seen, what we've seen, Isabel, is once you're adapted, your tolerance, if you're aerobically fit, like if you build your aerobic engine on a fat adapted physiology, that window of tolerance of carbs goes back to the old days, which I'll talk about here. You, I'm telling people to smash the carbs. Yeah. Because, and forget about it on, on race day. And I don't, I, I actually tell most people on race day to stay away from fatty foods, unless it's an ultra, ultra endurance type of thing yeah. where they're you know, they're not running maxed out, but if it's the, a race anywhere from an Ironman distance or a hundred K down, I want them to use carbohydrates that are easily digestible. Um, but the fact is they use a lot less. I, I really have people focus more on hydration than anything else. Yeah. But so you'll yeah, find they, they, they can use all the carbs they want. Yeah. So if someone's fat adapted in this, in this way that you're talking rather than keto necessarily, um, finding they do still need less um nutrition within a race as well they're doing what again they need less nutrition then in a race you're, you're yeah fine. and that that's a big that's a big plus mm. because, because there's a one of the this is another downstream issue and i i, I just cringe when i see co coaches or some top coaches out there that recommend these high volumes of intake and they say well if you can't tolerate it, you got to train your body to tolerate taking in more now that's another big thing where they're looking at, okay, you need to get in so many calories, but they don't look at the, what that's doing to their stomach and gut line. And this is why over time athletes develop GI issues, because if you're, if you're exercising, it's like I tell people, if you're sitting down to a, a nice meal with your friends and you really want to enjoy it, do you, do you want to try and do a hard workout then? Of course not. Right. So if you're doing a hard workout, do you want to try to eat a meal's worth of of stuff no. no because so here's here's what i'm seeing and this is the thing is they don't look at these things they're just looking at what's in front of them how many calories can we get in how much performance can we get out and 
if you're taking in all those calories, even if they're just carbs and simple sugars, you're creating a lot of oxidative stress at a time when the body is, is especially in the heat, the body's it's allocation of resources. So it can't, it can't shunt as much blood to the digestive tract and those epithelial cells that line your stomach and gut lining. Those don't get the oxygen they really need to process digestion. So that sugar causes a lot of oxidative stress on very sensitive high turnover cells. And so they're impacted by trying to digest at a time when they're not ready to digest. And then long-term this causes, you know, stomach and gut issues. It's going to, and because it's, you're putting so much sugar there at that one point, it's going to cause the biome to shift towards more things where you see a lot of, you see a lot of athletes that if they've got any significant amount of candida in, in their biome mix, that starts to get out of balance with everything else. And you get candida overgrowth and die off and it gets, and then that's going to add added stress to those epithelial cells that line your stomach. And that's where you get these, these stomach and guts that are just wrecked. And, and then you also get the problem with, with gallbladder issues because if you're eating all the time and you're eating a lot of carbs you don't get the proper gallbladder function okay. um, and then your bile ducts get clogged up and that's why you see a lot of endurance athletes lose their gallbladders or have gallbladder issues i didn't know that yeah yeah i work with um oh god what was her name can't remember she um i'll probably wake up tonight and think of it <laughs> she was a top triathlete. She worked with Phil Maffetone and I in her last season, had the best season of her career. And she was with the U.S. Olympics. And um, her last, she, she did PRs at Ironman Brazil. She just PR'd one after another. She had one, she had a bad Kona, but she, and then she did another PR at Ironman Arizona um, at, at the very end. And so, but she had her gallbladder and she said, and, and she was a do medical doctor, but she had no idea that, that was the reason she lost her gallbladder years and years of pumping carbohydrates. Yeah. And so it's, that's the real, that's one of the big problems. And so, like I say, I really cringe when they're telling people to eat more and train their gut to eat more because it's, it's in the long term, it's just, it's just not good. So what about um, an athlete's day-to-day -day diet? Um, is that more where you're saying not so many carbs? It depends. It's contextual. It's cycles. You know, people might want to think in these simplistic terms like, okay, you know, you got the keto camp here and you got the high carb camp here and there's nothing in between. It's cycles. So what I recommend people do is use the carbs when you need them. Like if you're doing a high intensity in interval tempo workout, you might want to have some carbs in the meal before you do that. Um, not necessarily snack before, right before your workout. Um, but just bring some carbs in before. And maybe if it's a re if you've got a big training load, you might, might want to refeed after because when you're insulin sensitive, it's a good time, not immediately after, but when you have a meal after, because you don't need to eat right away when you're fat adapted. Um, and then when you're in a more recovery phase, you want to go low carb. When I say low carb, the way we do it is we do it from a real foods, don't count your macros okay. perspective. Um, because Veg, non-starchy vegetables i just tell people don't count don't bother counting those okay. you can have as many as you want because those are really great for for filling you up and keeping you satiated mm -hmm. without providing a lot of calories providing a lot of electrolytes and fluid to keep you hydrated but they fill you up so you're not eating too much fat too many too much protein and too many and too many concentrated carbs so you can you know get down to your race weight you know yes. so that's that's how we do it and and then um 
So, you, you know, you can have as many carbs as you want in the form of non-starchy veg because you're just never, you're, you're, you're going to fill up before you get it. And then you, the way your body digests non-starchy vegetables, it doesn't transit into your bloodstream as glucose the way a starch or a, a sugary product would. So when you're saying non-starchy vegetables, are you, uh, you're excluding though things like potatoes and sweet potatoes? And yeah. Sort of yeah. And, and, and sweet potatoes and potatoes are something you want to bring in, like say the night before you, the next morning, you're going to do an interval workout. Well, yeah, you want to have a sweet potato as part of your meal, a portion. You don't want a carb load. Yeah. Right. Right. And like what I wanted to say to you about this tolerance level is when you look at the original carb loading studies in Sweden, it's really about context. Mm. And at the time, that was before Ansel Keys got going with the whole, you know, the, the cholesterol hypothesis, the red meat, eggs are bad hypothesis. Yeah. These were done in the early, late 50s, early 60s. I can't remember in Sweden. And it was, it was back in the time where everybody knew that athletes ate steak and eggs. They yeah. ate carbs, but they ate steak and eggs. You know, you know nobody, they were, so they were getting plenty of fat and protein. But those original carb loading studies, the, 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 the subjects were young, competitive males. So high testosterone, which covers up a lot of sins. Yeah. And they were very competitive. So they're, and then what people don't know is they put them through a very mild carbohydrate restriction two weeks before, and then the three-day carb load. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so if you're young and male and competitive and highly athletic, you're already pretty well fat adapted in, in that context because before they were they, young males in that time ate a lot of protein. It was always known you ate a lot of protein back in those days. Um, so they weren't eating a super high carb diet where they were eating 60 to 80% of their macro being pasta, bread, rice, mm -hmm. right? And so they were eating a fair amount of protein fair amount of carbs and then they restricted their carbs which means they took away probably the potatoes the right pasta and 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 it wasn't a ketogenic diet per se but it was restricted and then they brought them back and so that's not too far off of what we're doing we're you know on the on the more low carb days we do bring it down to a very low carb level it's not a super high fat level that's another thing is is my goal is not about making the food macro uh, my focus isn't on making the food macro super high fat. Okay. It's actually about getting the body to burn its own body fat, you know, mm -hmm. letting that fat flow so you can get the performance and stable energy you need to perform. Yeah. And so um, if someone is, is choosing to, to start to go on this type of, um, nutrition program do they have to have a, a period of adaption yeah you know we, we we call that a metabolic reset and it's yeah. you know you that's where you really kind of want to be strict about keeping the carbs out not so much going super high fat that's yeah. that's for more sedentary people okay if you're fairly athletic and fairly aerobically fit you just need to restrict the carbs more than anything else and, you know, like the protein, I like people to eat real, whole, real food protein that you look, look at as food, not, not these whey shakes and protein shape, pea protein shakes that are low fat, yeah. high synthetic protein, because the, the amino acid profiles don't add up, you gotta, you gotta mix and blend them, and then they don't have a lot of fat in them. So a lot of that protein is being, you know, it's being used for gluco gluconeogenesis, 
and then the amine gets shunted to your kidneys, works your kidneys over. So you're wasting, it's not very efficient, right? It gives you that, it gives you that boost between the protein and the anabolic effects of the gluconeogenesis and the insulin load to, to bulk up, but it doesn't produce, you know, produces the type two anaerobic muscle, uh, fast twitch muscle fiber instead of the aerobic. That's how come like weightlifters get a lot of uh, build out of them because they get that that pump from the the glycolysis, the, the gluconeogenesis, and then the subsequent burning of the glucose is a part of using those kind of products. So I, I say real food, like like whole meats, not low fat meats, whole eggs, you know, poultry with the skin on, fish, and then as much fat or oil as you want to make it taste good, right? To cook it in or make it taste good. Same thing with the veg. You know, you put as much fat or fat on it is to taste good, whether it's salad, your salad dressing or butter or cheese. And, and then that makes it really simple. Mm. Right. And that, that takes the stress out, which is a whole nother part of fat adaptation. Yes. Because I tell people stress is as big a issue as the concentrated carbs. So we'll go go on to that later, but let's if you if you want to stay on the nutrition aspect of it, we'll talk, we'll finish up with that. But I don't want people stressing about their food. What about people who, you know, because um, the the rhetoric has been for a long time that, you know, too much meat is is bad for you and too much fat is is bad for you and will increase cholesterol levels and, and all that. And so it's an ingrained um, belief. Um, what, what do you say to that? If people are, are, I, um, you know, this is something I've been big, trying to figure out for the last 20 years as well, because <laughs> something... Something as elegantly simple as this little thing we call evolution. It shaped us to burn fat aerobically. That's yeah. why we, like I said, like that's why, that's why we carry a lot of fat. In fact, I tell people like females are hardwired biologically to eat and save for two. Yeah. That's why women can put on the fat and they don't give it up so easily unless everything gets just right. And it's because biologically they're meant to store that fat because late gestation, childbirth and lactation, that period of time, the woman's not very good at hunting and gathering, right? Yeah. And she's got to get that. She, you know, that's just, it's just, this is just biology. It's not a political or. A, no, no, no. Yeah. Right. It's just biology. So she's got to get that next generation going and she has sure. to have that, that in case of not, you know, you can't depend on the male to be along. You can't hunt and gather. You got to be autosufficient. So that's why women have this capability to put on a lot of weight. And then, you know, cause you need it for late gestation, childbirth, and then lactation because milk is made from ketones, which get converted into cholesterol. Cholesterol is the major component of milk. And so, oh, okay. yeah. yeah, that's, and that, that's what people don't understand is, is like the hormonal settings is what triggers things. And, and, and I, I learned a lot of this from actually dairy nutrition because they're trying to, I look at dairy cows as a super athlete, just the metric is milk production, but the whole lactation process is driven by cholesterol synthesis. And um, so we're, we're meant to burn fat and even cows, even though they're herbivores and they're eating carbohydrates, because they're ruminants, the, the bacteria, fungi, and archaea in their rumen, their abdomen, is converting it into fatty acids. And so they get their energy, their fat burners, they get their, most of their energy comes from fat. Yeah, yeah. So taking it back to see mammals are made to burn fat aerobically. And, and so that's the whole point is our base 
our base physiology has to be has to be fat and then so our nutrition will alter what our physiology and metabolism will do depending on what we eat and so if you're eating a lot of glucose or starch-based stuff which starch is converted into glucose because glucose is actually toxic in the blood at once it, once it gets above certain levels it um your body has to burn it first and that's why you get the insulin um rush and, and over time so you know with cholesterol so that that stunts the cholesterol metabolism so in the context and this is the second paper that actually came out of faster i don't know if you've seen that paper um was was noting how all the low-carb diet cohort had high high ldl cholesterol and high total cholesterol because they're burning it so their bodies their livers putting out cholesterol but it's also metabolizing it so the context of that is if you're Overall cholesterol is high, your LDLs are high, but your good HDL is, is okay. And your triglycerides are low and your fasting insulin is low. That's a good thing. It means your body's metabolizing the cholesterol. Now, in the conventional sense, if you have high cholesterol, especially high LDL, it means it's backing up in your, in your blood. It's not getting metabolized. It's getting deposited on, on, those, on those arterial linings. And it's, you know, it's, it's the road to a heart attack. So that that's hallmarked by high cholesterol, high triglycerides and high, high, high insulin and, and low vitamin D. Yeah. And so, so if someone's looking at adopting this and, and is, you know, before performance um, means over and above, you know, health and whatnot, um, what sort of performance gains can, can they expect to see from, from, you know, well, one of the biggest things is they, like you said, they have to get adapted and they have to go through that reset phase. And then there's an adaption phase of about four to six weeks, sometimes eight weeks where you're upregulating your hormonal and enzymatic pathways to really burn fat at a high level. And this is, it's mainly beta oxidation, which is the base yeah. way we metabolize fat, where you're just cleaving off these long chain fatty acids. Um, and then, um, You've got ketosis, but you also have hepatic gluconeogenesis where your liver will actually spare your glycogen and produce glucose from liver fat. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And that's not well known because most people aren't fat adapted. So your body can make this, um, make all it needs once it's, a, it's got that adaptation phase to provide what you need for performance and then you add that little bit of carbohydrate on top and it's like rocket fuel so you know when you go through that first metabolic reset phase you actually feel okay i'm not climbing the walls anymore i can go longer but i don't feel like i can perform like i used to you have to go through that adaptation phase to get to where oh okay i can perform like i used to but i feel better and i recover better and then you start adding the carbohydrates and tweaking it for your individual needs that's where you get the performance boost. And that's where you see it's better because one of the biggest things is the recovery, what people see as recovery. And that's, I wanna reframe that too, because everything about fat adaptation is, is gotta be reframed because it's different. Like people notice they recover. And I, I think you're doing fat adaptation, right, Isabel? You're doing some no. format? No. no, I mean, I used to a, a, a while ago before I did running, but um, yeah. 
I haven't for a while, to be honest. Okay, so people notice the recovery aspects, right? Mm. That they recover faster. That recovery isn't actually because you actually recover faster per se. It's because you haven't done the damage in the first place of oxidative stress from burning glucose. So that quote unquote faster recovery is less damage, which means um, you can actually handle recover and, and handle a bigger training load. And that adaptive stress, instead of trying to get back up to baseline to repair the damage and get training effect, you're getting almost all training effect. And so, you spoke earlier also about less inflammation. I'm guessing because of less oxidative stress, there'll be less inflammation within the body. Yeah, right, right. Less, less oxidative stress from burning glucose, less lactate load from having to clear all the lactate. Because lactate, you know, your body, your body, your, your heart, your kidneys, they can all use lactate, but it's rate limited. And once you, once you exceed that rate, you start to accumulate lactate in the blood. So it's, it's a proxy for glucose oxidation. Um, so you got less glac, you know, lactate clearing issues, um, and then less inflammation. And when you have that inflammation, that creates a cascading effect. Like, like I was saying before, you get the inflammation, your arteries get get stiff. You end up doing more glucose because you have less oxygen, so you can do less beta oxidation. Your cholesterol's backing up and trying to repair the the inflamed arteries. It's just a, it's a cascade effect, right? And it happens on a for well-conditioned athletes, it happens slowly over time, right? It's not something that it's like, oh, you, you have oxidative stress and it's like, boom, because they, they like, you know, like when they're selling um, these antioxidant products, right? They make it sound like, oh, you got all these, this, these free radicals running around, they're killing you. And it's like, it's not quite that way. Yeah. yeah. So am I, am I answering that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um... So, so um, I think a lot of um, people have trouble with the adaptation phase because they don't feel so good. So therefore they're concerned it's not working, I guess, or they just don't like having to go through that. So what would you say to, to help? Well, I think, I think the first, yeah, the first thing is people need to, to really bone up on it. They gotta, they gotta get, wrap their head around it because you, you're going to, it's, it's literally substance withdrawal. Yes. You're, you're taking away the energy source your body's adapted to. And until the insulin goes down, yeah. you can't access the, the energy source you want to get to. So yeah. there's this, this really tough time. And, and so you have to know that. And then, you know, we've developed a lot of strategies around that um, based on using Vespa, using hydration is really important. Um, and then, and then just making sure that you throttle back, like you, 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 you train as much as you can or not train at all. Like there's people that can't get off the couch to people who may have a couple of three days of their training's not so great. You know, that's the range. So the people who have trouble, they have to tell their, their partners and their people at work, look, I'm going to have a few days where I'm not going to be, I'm going to be grouchy and not very productive and yeah. And all that so you really have to prepare them for a lot of things and then i think it's important that people commit so they can get through it and like all of us endurance athletes know that when you do endurance stuff there's going to be rough patches during your races and you just got to know you got to get through them because you want to quit and it's sort of it's sort of like that right because yeah. you're going to hit those rough patches and you got to you got to so you got to kind of make that get educated make that commitment towards 
the long haul, because what I've seen is if somebody's got their, if they haven't quite gotten convinced, they got one foot in, one foot out, mm-hmm. it's usually a mixed bag where they get results or not based on a whole bunch of variables. Whereas when I see people commit 100%, they get 100% of the time they get results. Yeah. You know, it, um, it's just that kind of mindset. And so then once you're adapted, <clears throat> you're saying that like before, you know, a workout session, the night before you might have some sweet potato or something. So yeah. there's room then once you're adapted for a, a little bit of carbs and that doesn't put you back? No, we find that the more, the more you get aerobically fit, the bigger that window of carbohydrate tolerance gets to where people don't even consider it a diet. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy, Isabel, but if you do all the stuff we're doing, you get your vitamin D levels up, you get your magnesium, get on your magnesium, you practice what I call whole animal eating, which means you're either taking liver or liver supplements or heart, you know, you're eating organ meat and you're getting plenty of collagen rich foods or collagen supplementation uh, and get the nutrition balanced. I'm not worried about the nutrition density because most athletes by, by definition want to eat healthy or clean. I hate it when they tell me I eat clean. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> um but, you know, if you just do the basics, right, like whole animal eating is really important because it's, it's just, it's just very, it makes the nutritional balance really easy. And that's why I'm not anti-vegetarian or anti-vegan. It's just as you move away from that animal-based eating, it gets a little more complicated. You can do it, but it, it gets very well, I was going to ask, is, is it possible for a vegan to um, be on this? I mean, I can sort of see how a vegetarian might be able to do it, but I think it'd be very hard for a vegan, wouldn't it? Well, let's go with the vegetarians first. I've coached a couple of very high level, um, middle-aged uh, masters vegetarian athletes. And, and as soon as we get them, their vitamin D levels up, we usually, they're, they're very performance oriented. So they'll, they'll do the liver capsules and the gelatin capsules to get the collagen. Um, but they're doing eggs, they're ovo-lacto. Yeah. What I've seen all the time with those people and they're on the Vespa, they're, they're, their injuries go away and their performance goes through the roof. Just boom. With the vegans, it's it's theoretically possible, but in practice, it's really, really rough. It's, it's hard because, yeah. because yeah, um, people need to really realize just from a factual basis that our digestive system evolutionarily is closer to a dog's than a pig's. Pigs and bears are like true omnivores. Yeah. Um, and we're like an omnivorous carnivore. So it's like, you need to have those animal products. But one of the key things that I want to stress is even though I'm advocating animal, whole animal eating, so it's not just muscle meat, it's organ meat. Okay. Even though I'm advocating for that, what I found working with myself, with vegetarians and other high, high end athletes, the amount you need when you get this right, in terms of the animal products is surprisingly small. Okay. And that's what makes it sustainable. I mean, you got, you know, you got the, the vegans on one end, you got the carnivores on the other and that other binary sphere, right? And the carnivores are eating, you know, two, three, four pounds of meat a day and, you know, and all this. And it's like, I don't know what they're talking about. Cause it's like, as much as I like to occasionally pound a big steak, it's like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not sustainable. No. So, so, but on a, if people are looking for, for it from an ethical reason and an environmental reason, it's, it's entirely aligned with natural evolutionary thing because we're very efficient once we get that balance right. And the amount we need is, is so small, it becomes sustainable, especially if you're sourcing you know, grass-fed. Like I use the, um, 
grassland nutrition liver capsules that are out of australia okay yeah you know about those guys no oh we'll have to get you get you on that stuff it's it's amazing <laughs> but they, they they source all their products out of the channel country in the in, inland of australia and then they get the kelp out of the tasman sea so it's like the most pristine stuff and mm. and it all fits because you've got to I, I try to encourage people who run the vegetarian vegan side of things is, is try to think because vegans vegans and vegetarians they, they tend to be wanting natural sustainable environmentally yeah. right as far and then there's the ethical thing and so if you look at it from a cycle of life you know and, and where we fit in the food chain if we're doing it sustainably and handling the animals well it it, it kind of fits in the whole ethics and, and just from a medical standpoint nutritional hard hardcore nutritional standpoint in terms of human nutritional needs it, it makes it easy because it's just hard to get the fat soluble vitamins yeah. and and minerals some of the some of them and the b vitamins you can't get you know like b12 you have to supplement yes. you know k2 you can only get it from like natto the the epa and dha essential omega-3s you have to have the the seaweed based stuff it makes it just very hard and complex and it's 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 almost impossible to get it the amino acid profile and balance yeah. you know the body will make it work but it's is it is it optimal no whereas eating that that whole animal approach it's, it's real easy to dial it in and, and not have to eat a lot yeah yeah well i guess yeah it's more nutrient dense and, and uh, as well it's, so, yeah. it's, well it's not just nutrient dense it's also nutritionally balanced that's the problem yeah. i have with with like the carnivores they tend to talk about organ meat but they tend to do a lot of muscle meat yes and that's yeah. that's a problem because you get too much methionine and that leads to homocysteine okay. which leads to heart disease and and so you want to yeah. You need the liver to balance out the methionine. Yeah, I mean, personally, I was brought up on on the whole animal diet, you know. So yeah, I get that as well. Um, mm -hmm. Now, when um, someone is racing and you say they they should be using carbohydrates, what what should they be using within a race? How much or what? Sorry. How much or what? Uh, well, like if you're saying it's okay to use carbs in a race, like what form would they be getting these carbs? I have, I have three simple rules, Isabel. It's mm -hmm. what you like, what you know works and what's available. Yeah. Don't, I mean, people, people get too stressed and OCD yeah. and too granular about their nutrition. And, and what, what do we, what do we all know? What, what can we all expect in an, an endurance event? Something's going to happen that we don't expect. Yes. We've got to adapt. Yes, right. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't put those restrictions on people like, you know, you and I both know a, a, a cup of Coke at the end of a race can be like magic. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, so you wouldn't it, drink that in normal life, but yeah, during, when you're running, it's awesome. Yeah. Right. Right. And so because you're not slamming, you know, like you see these guys at triathlons where they got 20 gels, tape to their crossbar their bike that's like suicide to me you know you you look at that and that's crazy it's like instead you're gonna you know like i've got high level people doing you know nine hour eight and a half nine hour iron man on like 900 900 to 1200 calories total yeah you know competitive level i have one guy who's my size so we're you know i'm about 178 centimeters um so not a small guy and he did a hundred mile race, raced to second place in 15 hours, 13 minutes. So he's not a small guy, right? Yeah. 
less than 500 calories in race to run 100 miles wow. competitively. Okay. And he wasn't even hungry. He didn't eat till the next morning. Jeez. And that's, that's what happens when you get your, and we've been having these discussions with athletes lately because they're, I've had more and more of these athletes get this feeling in their long events or their long training where they get locked into that high fat burn. Mm. And as long as they're hydrated, they just, they don't want or need much at all. Yeah. And then, so I, I advise people to use, like I say, whatever works for them and how much they need, don't spare it, but don't, you don't need to overdo it. Trust the system. Yeah. And then like, I tell people to be strategic in their carbs, not, not like formulaic because like if you're doing a long endurance event you may want to start a feed when you get on the bike say you're doing an ironman what's your sport isabel um running, running. yeah what distance uh you know 100 miles or more 100 miles or more okay yeah. so for a 100 miler you might want to have a feed in the morning while it's still cool i tell people okay hmm. you might want to put in 100 to 150 calories an hour after, but you wait till you get into a fat burn. So wait a 90 minutes to two and a half hours before every, you're just really locked into the, your, your internal metabolism's locked into the fat burn, right? And then you start a feed for a couple hours, but when it starts to warm, you want to shift away from mm. a lot of food because you're starting to need to thermoregulate more, focus more on the hydration, which is as big a component. And then when it starts to cool off, you need to bring, you can bring the calories back in and then course towards the end of a race when fatigue sets in cortisol goes up you're burning more sugar you're going to need you're going to need more carbs um so it's it's kind of a moving target or if you know you've got a big climb coming up you know 10 minutes 15 minutes before when you're on the downhill get a gel in your system take a couple of salt pills start drinking so when you start hitting that hill five or ten minutes later that blood that blood sugar rise is happening so you have that extra blood sugar to burn off in the in the climb and you want to hit it or you've got a place where you want to throw down and and go yeah. at a tempo pace you want to you know five or ten minutes before you want to take something and i advise stuff that you that you find works for you but also simpler sugars just because they they'll yeah. pass they'll they'll pass into the bloodstream with with osmotic pressure rather than a lot of digestion because you want to minimize the digestion particularly if you're a runner yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for myself, I just find um, I get hungry feeling, so I like to have some solid food as well. Yeah, no, and and, and that's the thing. If that's what works for you, yeah, that's a great thing. And I I advise people I coach like when they come to an aid station and ultra, you know, while you're getting your water bottles filled by the aid station workers and and the volunteers, and you're just casually graze what whatever you hit your fancy because you know you may want something savory at that time you might want yes. something sweet yeah you know it's whatever looks good but just have a little in the couple minutes you're there don't try to eat too much and then get mm. going again yeah, so, yeah no, that, that sounds like good good advice yeah and that's that's the thing is like fat adaptation actually supports doing doing the carbs yeah okay yeah i, I guess you know in people's mind when they hear um fat adaptation they just assume no carbs yeah they go they go straight to keto everybody goes straight to keto because the keto the keto camp has not done themselves favors because they've they've sort of over exaggerated overreached in the performance benefits yeah there there is performance benefits but it's it's the it, it doesn't mean no carbohydrates carbohydrates play a role as much as being able to be in ketosis yeah yeah 
Well, well that's that's good to know, and, and I hope that that's given um, everyone sort of a more balanced look at, at that kind of um, approach to nutrition. Now, as we're coming to the end, is there anything that I may have missed that you feel is important to discuss? Well, I think people need to really educate themselves on this because it is it is not a binary thing mm. um and everybody's an individual but the but the science is now there with faster and, and we hope to be rolling out stuff and i think people shouldn't get to, to you know the science is a reference and helps us understand but they should be looking at the real world results too yeah. um i think a lot of the scientists that are in the pro-carb camp are banging on problem is as scientists are so focused on their spectrum of science you know i'm doing this little thing here with you you know that they don't see the thing so you got the keto people saying how good keto is for performance then you got the high carb saying no keto doesn't work you got to use a bunch of carbs and it's it doesn't work that way um so you know and i think vitamin d is a huge thing vitamin d magnesium you know unless you're doing something proactively doing something you're going to be suboptimal um, okay. and like i said before the other thing that the other big thing out there is the stress you gotta you gotta get the confidence and commitment to not be stressed and try to manage everything and become an intuitive athlete um, because that cortisol response is gonna it's gonna make you a great sugar burner so, so why, the carbs are, why specifically um vitamin d and magnesium i mean i personally take them myself um, but, you know, a lot of people would say, well, I get vitamin D when I'm outside. Um, why specifically those, vitam those vitamins and minerals? Well, you, looking at it in the context of the modern man-made world, most people don't get outside daily with, in shorts, you know, practically with bearing a lot of skin, at least, you know, for a few hours. Like you can go out for 15 or 20 minutes and get 10, 15, 20,000 IUs of vitamin D if you, but if you got expose your whole body, right? Yeah. To midday sun. And you also have to have the cofactors that come from whole animal eating. Okay. Yeah. And then the magnesium, oddly enough, magnesium is one of those things, especially in the today's world, sugar and stress deplete your magnesium. A lot of our foods now don't, are not as magnesium rich. If somebody's eating a lot of seafood, they're probably okay on the magnesium status, but that's rare. Yeah. Um, and then the fact is that also, because we eat a lot of calcium rich stuff, because dairy is now a big part of our diet. I think that the calcium outcompetes for the magnesium because we uh -huh. have so much calcium in the debt. We have so little magnesium. We have so much calcium that there's a, there's a, it's out competing. So you, you really have to be on top of the Zinc is another one, but not so much. If you're having the liver and the muscle meat, you usually will get enough zinc. If you have an oysters regularly, you're definitely getting enough zinc, but magnesium and vitamin D are the two things. And I, I, I used to be like, try to get it from the sun or try to do tanning veg, but I've kind of gotten to the point where you just got to do the, 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 the lanolin based vitamin D three. And we do it with liver capsules to get the vitamin A and vitamin K2 cofactors plus magnesium because those three vitamin A, vitamin K2 and magnesium are critical for proper vitamin D uptake. Yeah. And the other thing is fat adaptation because these are all fats. Yeah. So you take the liver capsules, but do you also eat just liver as well? Oh yeah. 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 I take that. I love liver. I, I, I'll eat anything. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm a good but, 
<laughs> yeah, but I can't, you know, you, if you were brought up on, you know what I'm talking about because I eat liver, but I, you know, it's like I tell people liver is like fish or worse. If it's not fresh or fresh frozen, and it's not cooked right. It's, it's horrible. It's worse than yes. bad fish, yes. right? Yes. But if you get good liver, it's to die yes. for, yes. you know? It has, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's hard for me to get, have fresh liver around because here in the States, they don't, it's not a regular part yeah. of the diet. I have an easier time coaching people in Latin America than I do in, because it's all the things that I want them to eat is part of their natural diet or Asian diets. Same yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. All these things are just a, a natural part of the diet. And it used to be part of the European diet, yeah. but you know, you know, like I try to get people to eat tripe and joints, you know, and yeah. that's, that's a traditional food in any traditional culture, but it's, it, you can't find it in, in like Australia or, or America. No. No, no. Yeah. Well, my mom was European. So that's why I was eating all of that. Yeah. No, but I do agree. Yeah. And that's, you know what, you should continue to eat that because yeah. I'll tell you the, the long-term benefits for your, your health and, and slowing that aging that process down are huge, yeah. just huge. Like, like I, like before we go, one of the things I, I really push, you need very little organ meat because it is so nutrient dense, almost too yeah. nutrient dense, like liver is almost too nutrient dense, but you need a lot of collagen of the whole spectrum of collagen based stuff tripe skin tissue so, so tripe has a, a lot of collagen does it oh yeah yeah and this is and the reason i'm saying this is because a third of the protein in our body is collagen hmm. yeah. and the thing is is collagen proteins our skin our skin our hair our nails our 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 stomach lining our endothelial cells our ligaments tend to these are relatively high turnover cell structures. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to you need to really be be eating. A and and is, is a supplement enough? Look, that's a loaded question. Most people who are supplementing with collagen, the collagen supplements are mostly made from skin collagen, which is no. great. Yeah. But it's not the whole yeah. collagen. Like like you know, I like people like if people aren't going to do the collagen food, we get them on the cartilage, the type two cartilage collagen because that's a very versatile collagen. Okay. It can go, it's, it's almost like a stem, it's like the stem cell of collagen. So it can go in a whole bunch of different ways because cartilage collagen is, you know, like a precursor to bones. It yeah. can go into tendons. So, you know, we put them on that. Um, but that's the whole thing. It's like I regularly eat what they call menudo compata, which is a Mexican Latin American dish, which is tripe soup with the hoof or the joints in it. Yeah. And I put a lot of lime, lime juice in it because that mixture of vitamin C and collagen is like a precursor for, for glutathione. Yeah, it's huge. It, it's just huge in terms of of your health. Yeah. So I, I know I'm banging on a lot about it, but but these are the things that that your mom your mom if she was listening to it, would totally nod her head and say yes. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, whole animal eating is really more um, efficient use of if you're going to be eating it's more sustainable yeah yeah and, and and you know like your mom would say that's just how everybody eat. you didn't waste anything yeah. right exactly. i mean if you and you probably ate um uh medulla which is uh marrow yes yeah oh we ate everything yeah yeah, yeah. Like, we yeah wonderful you know or sweetbreads or i mean I'll, I'll eat all that stuff you know yeah. and so yeah, it's like like I try to. It it sounds gross to most probably most yeah, of your listeners, but it's like yeah. it's like, gosh, you don't need need to eat much of it, and when you get it prepared yeah. right, it's really actually quite delicious. Yeah, 
yeah exactly yeah and and i think the key is the, the preparation as well yep. all righty well thank you so much if, if people are interested in what we've been talking about where can they find out more um the product site is vespapower.com and there's yep. a for australia we have vespapower.au vespapower.com.au i think yeah so we have a small stock of Vespa in Australia. We'll, I'll make sure we'll get a 12 pack sent to you. Oh, excellent. Um, well, yeah, and I'll, um, I'll put those links in, in the show notes and, too. And then for the content side, we're working on that and that'll be coming along, but that's um, OFM.io. OFM mm -hmm. And I would suggest there's two things. We have two um, eBooks that we wrote that I wrote. One is Beyond Keto and that's beyondketo.info. Yeah. And then on the Vespa side at the bottom of the page, you can get the Conquering the Terrible Threes, which is all about how you can overcome bonking stomach and gut issues and bad recovery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they are the terrible three. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Now, if you're in the endurance sphere, yeah, you, you kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's where we can be found. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and like I said, like I said, the 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 stress <laughs> thing is like you know you just you know you can't burn fat if you're not like relaxed yeah you know, like i said you would be a great sugar burner if you're wound up yep and which almost re refeeds the cycle as well so yep 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 yeah. and that's why it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy carbs work yep. in that vein <laughs> yeah exactly yeah all right Wonderful, well thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it and, it and it's great to hear um a different perspective on on nutrition here today yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more than just nutrition. Like, like we just kind of touched the tip of the iceberg because I think people go, they always go to the diet because that's what yeah, everybody's yeah. got you focused on. It's like diet is one thing. It's really about getting your, you, the individual, their physiology and everything set up right. And then using diet as one of those tools and levers to get it to that optimal physiology and metabolism so that you can not only perform, but be healthy and slow that aging process down. And look, ultimately, that's that's what it's all about. Is um, you know, it's health. I mean, performance is important, but I think <clears throat> that overarching health and, and, like you said, slowing down the aging process is really something we should all be focusing a bit more. Well, on. and that's what we're seeing with this whole thing of fat metabolism is the more you're in in beta oxidation, the 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 slower the aging process. Like I've got, I've got all these athletes out there. They're in their 50s, 60s, and even 70s that are doing cool. incredible things. And I'm 61, and I I still can go out on on minimal calories and and just go for hours hard so it, and and that's the thing it's like metabolically we're all pretty young and and then there's a lot of stuff with the current situation you know that current situation we've got yes. um there's a lot of science coming out about how fat adaptation vitamin d all these things are what you need to you need to be metabolically fit mm. um well, I have yeah. heard that vitamin D and magnesium, once again, are excellent to help with that. Yeah. Well, and here's, another, here's a little basic uh, biology on, on, on the physiology of RNA replication. And RNA replication your cells glycolytically. So yeah. if your cells are primed to burn glucose, which means you got insulin and your, your, your cells are, are sort of hormonally set up to burn glucose, you're inviting RNA in to, to replicate, whereas they're burning fat. It's not such a good environment. And the, the, there's a few studies now showing that, that, that people on a ketogenic diet actually have much better outcomes or don't have the, the really bad outcomes. Oh, that's um, interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and hyperinsulinemia is one of the hallmark co comorbidity mm. issues. Yeah. And that yeah. means if you're high, if you've got high insulin, you're, you're like programmed to burn sugar because you can't burn fat because high yeah, insulin right. prevents yeah. burn, fat burn. So, and one of my athletes, she's a, she's a ICU doc and a trauma surgeon. She's been in New Jersey. So she's been on the front line of this and she's, she's kind of like angry because she says everybody here that's in the ICU has got, it's not, it's not the current thing that's hurting them. It's the fact that they've already got a whole bunch going on. Yeah. And, and athletes aren't spared from this because that's the problem. If you're a sugar burner, you're just, yeah. 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 So. yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so that's the thing. It's, it's, it's about health as well as performance. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I would say that for most 90, probably 98% of the athletes out there, the healthiest athlete, the metabolically healthiest athlete is also going to get the best performance. Now, if you're talking about Olympic marathoners, I would have to say in their peak block of training and their race, they're probably not at their healthiest. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of what they have to do to get down yeah. a race or a 10K runner. Um, but I would say that in their buildup phase, getting them super healthy so that they can handle that big block of training and then doing some triage to get them ready for a, say a marathon or a 10k will actually get them better performance but there's you know and they're going to be pushing a lot of carbs there's just no way around it yeah, but, but, but being fat adapted they can actually weather the stress is better yeah that makes sense yeah definitely makes sense yeah. all right yeah. well thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it all right thank you thank you So what did you think? I like the fact that Peter didn't say to be fat optimised you had to eat no carbs. I don't actually believe in fully eliminating any food group. I find this a very interesting alternative point of view to the usual carb focus. Peter is sending me out some Vespa so I will let you know how that all goes once it arrives. Now if you enjoyed this episode I would really appreciate it if you could actually share it with a friend either on social media or directly. If you do share it on socials however don't forget to tag me. Have a great week of running and training and have fun out there on the roads and trails.